We're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6 from verse 14 and then through to 23. So read along with me. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which would lead to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, Leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord I'm going to invite Mick up you might remember that a couple of weeks ago I was just up here giving thanks and sort of saying oh, we're so privileged that we have um, and you know and I said I was tooting my own horn a little bit we have such great teaching in the church and we have great leaders and uh, each of our leaders once a year um, has an opportunity to share the word with us. And today uh, we have Mick, one of our leaders, sharing the word with us. And we're really, really pumped. We're really happy that he's able to have this opportunity. And so before um, he does that, I want to pray for him and ask you to also pray. And I'm going to pray for us, for our hearts to be open for the word. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for all of our leaders, but particularly for Mick this morning, Lord. We want to thank you for the work that he's done to prepare I want to thank you for his willingness to serve in, in lots of capacities, but in this way this morning. And we want to pray, Lord, for an anointing on him. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just speak through him, that you'd give him good recall and enable him to, um, to express your heart to us. And I pray for us, Lord, Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be open, that we'd be ready to hear, ready to understand and ready to respond to your word this morning. So I pray a blessing on Mick and on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, church, for your prayers. And, um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to come here to uh, speak from God's Word to you. It's um, certainly been a learning experience for me when you need to prepare to talk to a text like this. Um, you can't help but grow yourself um, in doing that, as I know a number of others who have shared this position would feel as well too. Um, Bill, Joel, Andrew, Glenn, there's a few here today, tough crowd. But a uh, message today of entitled, Where Do I Belong? Under Grace or Under Law? And uh, I would like to cover today a number of things. Um, the first is just to understand where are we at in Romans 6? What do we, what do we learn from the context here? We want to understand what it means to be under grace. I want to understand what it means to be slaves of righteousness and how this plays out in our, um, in our everyday lives. 
So to give an illustration of where we're at in Romans 6, um, imagine a, a person, a successful person. They've graduated from medical school. Uh, they're a doctor at one of the top hospitals. Uh, the life's going well. Great uh, marriage, family life. Uh, things are going really well for them. They then find themselves in a car accident. An injury from that comes about. They start taking pain medication and they become addicted to this medication. Being a doctor at a hospital, they have access to more drugs of various sorts, so they steal from the hospital to feed this addiction. That follows into um, a, law, a breaking of the law to some criminal activity. Uh, the marriage falls apart, the family falls apart. They eventually find themselves before a judge. And the judge looks at them and says, look, it's a merciful judge. And he says, look, I can see there's some extenuating circumstances here. I can see um, that there's been some things leading up for this. So I'm going to let you go. I'm just going to pardon you for this. And, um, but look, I'm going to send you out of here. Wish you all the best. Um, I, I suggest you get some therapy. Um, hope uh, the medical board takes you back. They probably won't. But uh, you're out. You're on your own. So where we find ourselves in Romans is that God is the judge and we are called before him. Um, in our case, there's no extenuating circumstances. We are guilty. But he doesn't look to us. He looks to our faith in Christ and he says, Christ has paid you the penalty for your sin um, and you are, um, uh, you are not guilty. You, there's a clean slate. But I'm not going to send you out. I'm not just going to let you go on your own. I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to transform your heart because I know you can't do it on your own and I'm going to be right there with you. God looks at us, his people, when we're downcast and burdened by the sin in our lives, burdened by our inability to do the things uh, that we want to do. He looks at us and says, fear not. Sin will have no dominion over you. You're under grace. You're not under law. And that's where we find ourselves in our text today um, at verse 14. Um, to understand this text, we really want to know, what does it mean to be under law? What does it mean to be under grace? So, um, on verse 14, a couple of slides up. So, one way to look at being under law, next slide, or under grace, um, is this idea that, well, there are no laws. This would be an incorrect way to look at that. And as we see in our picture there, um, that's an explanation of that. And this might be like some kind of outback outlaw theology. Um, the gangsters kind of run the town. There's no laws. Everyone can do what they want. And of course, that would lead to anarchy. You can't have no laws in a church, in a society, in a business. It just does not work. But others look at this and might say, not under law means uh, the law of uh, Moses, the Ten Commandments. That doesn't apply to me anymore. We're New Testament now. It's the law of love. That Old Testament has gone out, but that's incorrect as well too because the Ten Commandments are reflected in the New Testament as well too. Others may say, oh, the Ten Commandments, but maybe the Sermon on the Mount, maybe that doesn't apply to me as well too. But of course, God's commands are how we show love to other people. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So that's not really what this is saying here. Others may say, and, and it's true, that not under law means we're not under the condemnation of the law, which is true. Christ has paid that penalty for us. But there's something different here that Paul's referring to. Not under law here, but under grace. You see, under law, we can hear the word, we can hear the commands, but our hearts are not transformed. 
Under grace, our hearts are transformed. There is a power at work here that is greater, and that is grace, for sin will have no dominion over you. The question then raised in verse 15 is probably similar to the questions that are still raised today, not under law, I can do what I want, I'm free to do what I want. Well, that's not what not being under law is all about. And Paul refutes that question as a bad question, by no means. So rather than have that bad question, in verse 16, Paul proposes a better question. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey. Now, what Paul is telling us here is that there are only two masters that we can have. This is reflected in New Testament teachers, teaching as well too. You cannot serve both God and sin. Righteousness and sin are so diametrically opposed that you can't do both. It's one or the other. The word slave here may make us think but, um, of the um, you know, per- person taken out of their homeland, um, the um, you know, the brutality of slavery, I suppose. But in this case, a slave is more, um, in New Testament times, a bond servant, which is someone who would um, serve another person out of payment for a death. So there is still, they're not paid a whole lot, but there's not so much that feel of oppression uh, that we may associate with slavery. An example of this um, in today's terms, because Paul's audience would have known a lot about this um, slave or bond servant idea, since Bill brought out the cats, let's talk about that. Gary Ablett, good guy, superstar football player and Christian as well too. Um, last night, you may have been aware, the cats played the Suns, which is Gary Ablett's former team. So imagine towards the end of the game, Gary's coach rings him up and says, Gary, I need you, get the ball out of the centre clearance, kick it to your teammate in the forward line, he's going to kick the goal, we're going to win. All right, coach, got it, no worries. Puts the phone down. He then gets a call from the opposite team's coach. Gary, you used to play for us. You remember how you used to do that? You were really good. We won some great games. How about when you get the ball out of the centre, you kick it to our team, help us out a little bit here, we need to win. Now, what's Gary going to do? He's going to obey the team he plays for. He's going to obey his coach. He's going to follow that through. And this is, in effect, what Paul is saying. You can't obey both. They've got totally different objectives and plans and purposes. You're going to obey the one. In this case, Paul's questions could be said, what team do you play for? Or who do you belong to? And as we see in verse 17, that question's answered for us. But thanks be to God, you're not under the dominion of sin. Thanks be to God, you're not slaves, that you were slaves of sin, and you've become obedient to the heart, to the standard of teaching that you're committed Now, there's three parts of this verse I want to look at in particular, this transformation and change that goes in us. There's a transformation in regards to our new life, a new heart, and a new reality as well, too. So let's look at our new life. And apologies for the back-to-back Lord of the Rings references as well, too, but we have a few fans, so that's okay. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the movie, but the scene here we have... Uh, we come across King Theoden here who is under the control of another power, of an evil power. And he's under that control so much that he is, in effect, blind to his family and also his kingdom as well too. He's a pawn of this master and it is taken over his life that he cannot see 
uh, his responsibility and it cannot see what's uh, in front of him. And of course, the scene in the movie, he is freed by Gandalf, another, one, another um, power who is greater and effectively he is released from this. So the first part of this verse indicates there is a great change in us. You, we were and have become. We have been set free. There is such a change there. And this is talking about um, this condition that we were in, condition um, which we would call original sin. Paul speaks in other parts that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and made alive in Christ. There is such a great change that goes in us. It's this idea of new life, of being born again. When Nicodemus comes to see Jesus in John chapter 3, he can understand how this can be. And Jesus tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you were born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And that's what we have here. Our sin prior to God giving us new life blinds us to his kingdom. We are given this new life. And just as in our physical birth we had no say in it, so too in our spiritual birth. It's not our action, it's not our works, but it is God. And as our verse says, thanks be to God. God has the credit for this. Another aspect of this transformation is a change of heart, that we have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. As we mentioned before in verse 14, under the law, our hearts were powerless. There is no change in us. Our hearts were um, powerless to be changed, but under grace, there is transformation. Under grace, in our new birth, God gives us a desire for him. God gives us a new principle, a new way of looking at life, a love for him, and he gives us a love for his commands. That transformation is not possible under law, but is only possible under grace. And we talk about the standard of teaching that we've been committed to. Um, that's not we've just read a whole stack of books and we've just got it all and we're going to ace the test. The standard of teaching here referred to is the gospel that we sinners cannot save ourselves, that we sinners are dependent on Christ, on Christ's healing work. And it's by this grace and by this power that our hearts are devoted to and aligned to Christ as our Saviour and dependent on Him. This third aspect, and that's uh, focuses as well too in Jeremiah where he speaks, uh, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. You see, under law, our obedience can only be out of fear of condemnation. Our obedience can only be um, to win the favour of other people. Our obedience um, can only be um, that we uh, will be paid back for the good deeds that we do. But under grace, it is a true obedience which God enables by His Spirit for us to do. Another great change, um, the third point here, is our new reality. You see, God has set us free for a purpose. He set us free from one, uh, from one power and brought us to serve him. Paul's point here is that there cannot be two masters. It's one or the other, but we are set free to then serve Christ. We are set free to be able to follow him. We are set free to be able to uh, live in his commands. And this end result for us can just see that we now belong to Christ. Paul here uses the image of slavery um, 
to, to understand that there is action that follows from it as well too. But we are slaves to, we are followers of a loving God. We belong to God. It's, it's, he's the one who we take our lead from. He's the one who we take our commands from. And there's also in this verse here just a sense of certainty that Paul can speak over these people and say, you were, you have become, you are now slaves to righteousness. There is just um, a confidence that Paul has. And, and how does he get this confidence? How does he know it? Well, early on in Romans, Paul refers to the church as their faith being proclaimed around the world. You see, faith, a person's belief where a person has committed to follow and serve Christ is evidence that this transformation has come about. That's why as a church, our um, being a partner of the church, being a member of the church, isn't about what we have done so much as what we believe. And that's why we're excited to have um, people profess their faith in front of the church as well too, because we can hear and see the Spirit's transforming power in other people as well too. And I just want to pause at this point here because so far our text has really been focused all on what God has done, what He has done in us. There hasn't actually been uh, a to-do list for us uh, generated yet. Actually, to this point in Romans, there actually hasn't been a to-do list. There's a few verses prior to verse uh, 14, but a lot of this has been about Paul teaching us to understand what we believe. And I just, I just want to emphasize that point a bit here because Paul's response to the question raised in verse 15, what do I do now, what can I do, is actually to remember who you are, remember who you belong to. You see, as Christians um, and, uh, and as, as, as people, we often want to fall back on a sense of duty and what can I do? And that we can fo- emphasize that so much that we may feel that who we are is defined by what we do. But I really think what Paul's saying to us here to remember who we are. Remember who we are because it's because of who we are that we will then do the things that will flow from a sense of being. We do what God calls us because of who we are. So let's look at that in verse 19. And um, Paul here speaks in human terms, so I, I will as well too. You know the saying, practice makes perfect. I reckon that's what Paul's getting at here. You see, you know that sense of, I want to go and do some exercise. I really want to go and get fit. But if you stay on the couch, it'll just kind of continue. That comfort will continue. You'll kind of want to stay in that state. But if you get up early, go to the gym, go for that run, you start to get better at it. You start to enjoy it. And I think that's where Paul is going here as well too. Because just as, you, as Paul says here, we used to um, present ourselves uh, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. See, sin has this spiraling effect that it continues. One lie breeds another lie and we get caught in a web. Sin has a power that will bring about despair, um, misery and destruction. But conversely to that, acts of righteousness grow in us through God's Spirit an interest, a heart, desire to do more. Um, This feeling is, I think it was shown when um, Megan's not here, but she spoke the other day at the um, prayer and share about her, her role in mainly music, how serving others, she too was blessed by it. You see, God uses 
our um, obedience to him, our acts of righteousness, to grow our heart. Our verse says here, um, your members, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So think of that word sanctification. Think to be made holy. And when we look at the word holy, what does that mean? Well, there's two aspects to that I just want to touch on here. To be holy, think of unconditional love. Think of God's love to us. You see, our responsibility in this is to present ourselves, to show up for work, to look for the needs to serve other people. And through that, God's Spirit works into us, leading to sanctification. This is God's way of making us more like Him. This is God's way of tuning our hearts to depend on Him more, to need Him more. I've got the quote there from Leviticus, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In sanctification, we become more like God. We know God, and in knowing God, uh, we can take the joy in understanding Him more, in understanding His ways more, that His heart becomes our heart, that we continue to um, show our love for others in acts of service and things that we um, then do. We see here the opposite to that in verse uh, 20. Uh, for when you were slaves of fin- sin, you were free in regard to um, righteousness. When we were under that slavery, that previous condition, we weren't capable of spiritual good. We weren't able to follow the law of God. We weren't able to do what Christ has asked us to do. And that leads to as Paul says in verse 20, uh, 21 there, um, what fruit were you getting at that time, the things of which you're now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. See, that's that spiraling down of, um, of slavery to sin, of pursuit of wealth, pursuit of lust, pursuit of power. It only breeds a need and desire for more. And the end of that is temporary things, things that fade, things that disappear um, and uh, as Paul says here, that leads to death. We don't have to look far to see that in evidence of celebrities, sports stars, musicians who seem to have it all, but then the life spirals out of control um, as they pursue some of these things. So verse 22, then we see, But now that you have been set free from sin and become, become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end eternal life. See, slaves of God, um, slaves of righteousness, slaves of Christ, it's Him we belong to. We belong to Christ. And from this, the blessings just continue. The blessings continue because it leads to sanctification. He blesses us by tuning our hearts. He blesses us by a growing desire to love, to follow, to serve Him. Our lives are not made up of haphazard events and um, our acts that we do have a purpose. God works through them to tune us, to cleanse us, to make us more holy. And the definite end of that is eternal life. You see, the blessings under grace just don't stop. They continue. We are blessed with a new life. We are blessed with a new heart. We are blessed with a new reality and a new purpose of what to do. 
And we're blessed that as we continue in service in that, God continues to change our hearts. God continues to shape our hearts that we may love him and may love others even more. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If the message of grace wasn't emphasized enough already, we might want to replace this verse with, for the wages of sin is death, but the wages of righteousness is eternal life. It doesn't say that. <laughs> for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, not just a gift, free gift paul just wants to emphasize this point that this is all by grace this is all by god's blessing this transforming power of his spirit in us through the work of christ is a gift it's given to us and we don't have to fear life uh, going on on our own because god looks at us and says you are not under the dominion of sin you're under grace that at times when we do feel despondent, that at times where we do feel um, that we are not living up to the expectations, God grabs us and reminds us of that, that his power, his grace, his love is greater. And that he not only changes us to do that, he goes through with our lives, enabling us to love and serve him and enabling us to continue doing what he's asked us to do. I, um, I could uh, finish up here with a quote from Tim Keller, which is almost obligatory here, but I won't. But I do want to reflect on um, one of our creeds. Uh, one of those is the Heidelberg Catechism, some uh, 450 years old, so a bit older than, than Tim. But um, it's actually written by, or was majority is written by someone who was in their, uh, in their 20s uh, at the time. So if we just um, on this last slide, I just want to read this through because I think it really summarizes uh, well where we've sort of gone today in today's message. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but belong body, soul, heart, mind, all of us. In life, right now, right here, and in death, eternity to come to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. That's our redemption. His, sin, uh, his act on the cross has paid for my sin. He's paid for the penalty of our sin and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil, from the power of the devil. He doesn't have a hold on us. He's not the one controlling our hearts. It's under grace that we now live. And because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. You see, the question, where do I belong? Under law or under grace? I think we can answer that question, under grace. Maybe a better question would be asked, who do I belong to? And we belong to Christ. Not only has he paid for the penalty of our sin, not only is Christ's righteousness counted to us, that's in our justification, but he gives us new life that we may go forward in his power. He's right there with us and he transforms our lives, transforms our hearts to be more in tune with his, to be more in tune 
to the needs of others. What a great blessing that is, that we're not left alone, that he is with us. Thanks be to God. I want that to be your encouragement. I want you to know that belonging to Christ assures us of his transforming work in our lives. I want you to know too that this assurance comes with this guarantee of eternal life, that he who has begun a good work in us will continue. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your transforming power in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us new life, that you have raised us from death to life. We thank you, Lord, that you have tuned our hearts to you, that you, by your grace, have made us obedient from the heart, that we may follow and serve you in a way of true obedience. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us now to serve in your kingdom, to reach out to others, to reach out to those who need you, and that you empower us to do this, Lord, ever washing us, ever purifying us, and ever making us look more like you. Lord God, we thank you that your blessings are never ceasing. You rain so much love on us. Thank you, Lord God, that we are under grace. Thank you, Lord God, that we belong to you. Amen.